The following is a sermon from the church at Cherrydale in Greenville, South Carolina. To learn more, visit us at tccherrydale.com. We're going to continue in our series, Frailty and Faith, and um, I'll be in Genesis chapter 24. I'm going to story most of this chapter instead of just reading it, but Morgan read uh, the verses I'm kind of focusing on. You can also look into your app if you got the, te- the church at Cherrydale app. Uh, the sermon notes and all that stuff is in there. Also, just want to warn you, my notes are just like I talk, so it's probably not uh, perfect by any means, but uh, hopefully you can, you can keep up and hang out with us. But let's pray. God, thank you for loving us today. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for this impact weekend. God, what, just the impact as we've got to study what it looks like to be salt and light in a dark world. And God, I pray as uh, I know these students, they, they got a lot of information this past weekend. I pray as they go to school and work and play and even at home, uh, they'd be able to practice some of the stuff that um, they were able to learn. And so God, thank you for uh, your great love. Thank you for loving us today. And I do pray that if you speak to us today, that we'll obey uh, exactly what you tell us. God, you are, you are so good. Thank you for your people. And thank you for allowing us to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you think about chapter 24, um, it reminded me, and it's very interesting to hear how married couples meet. Some are childhood sweethearts, uh, blind dates, Um, I had a friend that fell for another friend's date that I know, co-workers. um, They've met in a bar. They've met at church. The growing trend today seems like internet matching is kind of the big thing. I even know a guy that put out a classified ad to meet a woman, and they married, and they're happily married today. But few are as particular as the story of Isaac and Rebecca in our text today. And so I want to give you some background. Last week we were on Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Chapter 23, Sarah dies. So Sarah's died. Isaac's about 40 years old or so and still living at home with dad. And most likely um, it has not occurred to either man that Isaac should be finding a wife. It's almost like a modern day story, right? You know, and when the idea does come or occur to Abraham, and instead of sending his son, he sends his servant to do the job. So in Genesis, and really throughout the whole Bible, you see, you see three things. You see a people, you see their problems, and then you see God solving that problem. Well, here, uh, the people are Abraham and Isaac, and their problem is finding a wife for Isaac, and God's solution is to enable the servant to go find her and then haul her back to Isaac. It's kind of what you see here in 24. And I've been uh, reviewing like all good preachers do as you, before you preach, you want to hear stuff on the text that you're preaching and you read and you read and you listen. And uh, in reviewing a lot of the sermons on Genesis chapter 24, it appears that most preachers see this chapter as some kind of marriage manual. Um, in particular, how to find a, a, a good wife or what a good wife should look like. So what else do you do with the longest chapter in Genesis that uh, seems to serve very little purpose other than telling the story of how I met your mother? 
And I want to, y'all got that. I'm so glad you guys got that. Um, Because I was really worried about maybe some of them, you know, it's just different generations, but how you met your mother. Anyway, um, so I want us to see what other things that we can pull from this text, okay? And so picture with me here, Abraham's old. All right, but the very first verse, and Morgan, I wanted her to leave this out on purpose, but the very first verse says that the Lord has blessed Abraham in all things, okay? Abraham was, should have been around 140 years old. The point was being made that there is a transition taking place in this chapter from the, uh, from, from the story of Abraham to the story of Isaac. At the beginning of the chapter, Isaac is referred to But he doesn't actually enter into the story until the very end of the chapter. He he comes in at the end of the chapter where Abraham is not even mentioned. And it's very cool to me in my understanding of of the scripture how Isaac is referred to at the very beginning and throughout most of the story in chapter 24, the servant refers to Abraham as my master and Isaac the son of my master. And when he returns at the very end of Genesis chapter 24, and he returns to Rebekah, and they see Isaac, she asks the servant who Isaac is. And that servant says, it's my master. So there's a baton being passed here in this chapter that that we see. And that baton is the covenant promise which God Almighty first made with Abraham that's going to be spelled out later on. And, and, and this promise is going to be passed down now through Isaac. And now the concern is for how Isaac will pass this down to the next generations. And that's what this chapter is all about. Ligon Duncan is one of my favorite teachers. I love hearing him. He's very serious. He's coat and tie. He's the opposite of what I am. And I think that's why I like him. But he says this on this chapter, that this is the story of the continuation line of promise, a providence of promise. How God in his providence brought about that continuation of the line of promise. Now this is no doubt, it's what's driving Abraham here in this story. Abraham, uh, uh, Abraham wants to find the right wife for Isaac, the continuation of the line of promise. Now listen, God can choose whoever, because he's sovereign, he can choose whoever he desires to achieve his promise. He could have chosen Hagar, the son of Ishmael, but he didn't. And evidently, the right bloodline mattered. And the right bloodline is evidently that of Terah, who is Abraham's Father. Now, if you were to read who's married to who and who got married and all this other stuff, it's incredibly complicated. Because you've got Terah is also the father of Sarah from another woman. It's really complicated. All right? So just trust me on that. And Abraham understands here that bloodlines is not for now to be mixed with Canaanites. It's a, it's Isaac's wife needs to be kept in the family. And thus, we have the story of the servant wife finder. And I want to read what Morgan read again, starting with verse 
2. It says, Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household, who managed all he owned. That's very important. Place your hand under my thigh, and I will have you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, and you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But I will go to my land and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Verse 5, the servant said to him, Suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me back to, the, to this land. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? Verse 6, Abraham answered him, Make sure you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give you this land to your offspring. He will send his angel before you, and you can take a wife for my son there. Verse 8, if the woman is unwilling to follow you, then you are free from this oath to me. But don't let my son go back there. Verse 9. So the servant placed his hand under his, under his master Abraham's thigh and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So there's two things. I want to pause there. There's two things that I want us to see here. First, the wife, uh, the, first, the wife must not be a Canaanite. That's not good. Abraham's telling him that's not, that we do not want that. She needs to be from his family. So he's giving him some orders here. And second, under no circumstances is Isaac to go back there. Under no circumstances. And I start thinking, why is Abraham so insistent that Isaac not go there? Here's why. Because the promise is not only about offspring, but it's about the land. It's about the promised land. Okay? And Abraham does not want to risk Isaac going back to Mesopotamia and not returning. So look there at verse, verse number 10. So the servant leaves, the servant departs. In verse 10, the servant took 10 of his master's camels with all kinds of his master's goods in hand, and he went to Mesopotamia to Nahor's town. At evening, the time when women went out to draw the water, he made the camels kneel beside the well outside of the town. Lord, verse, verse 12, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, make this happen for me today and show kindness to my master Abraham. I am standing here at the spring with the daughters of men of the town where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. Verse 14, let the, let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink. And who responds, drink, and I will water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know you have shown kindness to my master. So I want to just take up some things right here. So the text says 10 camels. That's a lot of camels, right? To be traveling with, right? 10. So why did the servant take 10 camels? Most likely that many was needed to carry all the servants and all the wealth and 
all those things that he had. Remember, the very first verse said that the Lord has blessed Abraham in all things. Here is a show of Abraham's wealth. Suppose this is today. Abraham probably would have taken 10 Hummer limousines with him, right? The show is, I mean, a, 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 just a caravan of limousines, right? And what the servant does next here at the well with folks I've read and most people that I've talked to, by all the commentators I've read, it says it's, he is very wise and he's very shrewd. It's a, what a clever way of finding a suitable wife. Hey, this, this, is, this is where all the eligible women, they're going to come to this well. This is one-stop shopping, all right, for this servant. And he, and he knows this. And the idea of the sign, hey, her to offer to water his camels, and it's such a smart way, right, to, 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 to find in a wife with the right spirit. She's going she's gonna to be a hard worker. But Abraham here in this text says he's already instructed the servant how to find the woman, right? Go to Abraham's relatives and find her. All the servant needed to do here was to ask where he could find the house of Nahor and then choose among the ladies there. Here... He's asking God to select the woman for him before determining if she fit that one criteria that Abraham said. It's kind of a, a really neat story. Now, Rebecca will be of the right family, but what if she identified herself as a daughter of the Canaanites? That woman that came to the well and offered to water his jug and his camels, what if she'd have been the daughter of the Canaanite who just moved to Mesopotamia. You know, the servant would have definitely been in a pickle, right? He would have been, but, but fortunately, it all works out. So one of the things that I think we can learn here from this text thus far is, is this question that I kind of put in my head. Is giving God signs to feel the best way to make decisions? Now, we're teaching, I know Brandon and Hugh are teaching a class on God's will and making godly Decisions, but is giving God these signs the best way to make decisions? And the answer to that is no, it's not. But, but there's a lot of Christians who do this. God, if you will do such and such, I will know that this is your will. Right? I know people that do that. God, if you will just make it whatever you want to fill in that blank, I'll know that this is your will. But is this what the servant here in this particular text, is this what he's teaching? Let's take a closer look at it. If you'll notice, he's old. He's been around, he's been around Abraham for a long time. He's the oldest of the household, the text tells us. He's trustworthy so much that Abraham placed him in charge of everything that he has. This would be compared to the same kind of trust that Joseph would have been known of in Egypt. And here's the deal. This guy, this servant, this unnamed servant, he thinks through things before committing. Abraham sends him on a mission that the service that the servant knows that he might not be able to complete. And he raises an issue back in verse 8. Look what he says. Perhaps the woman may not be willing to go. 
So it appears in this brief introduction that we have what the Proverbs tell us would refer to as a wise man. He thinks before he acts. He thinks before he speaks. He makes no rash or boastful promises, and Abraham trusts him. Makes no boastful promises. But what about the sign that he said there in, in this text? What about the sign? What, we can get better understanding of examine his prayer. Look at verse 12. Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, make this happen for me today and show your kindness to my master Abraham. Verse 13, I am standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water drug that I may drink. And who responds, drink, and I will also water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Note this. Notice how he address, this servant here addresses the God of the Bible. He says, Lord, God of my master, Abraham. Is God not the servant? Is God not the God of the servant? Undoubtedly, he is. He's definitely the God of the servant, right? But more to the point for the servant that he has gone on a mission on behalf of Abraham. Abraham has sent him. He knows of the particular relationship between God and his master Abraham, that of the covenant. He has seen this. He knows this. He's heard of this. He's prayed through this with him. And so he speaks for success based on that relationship. It's what he's saying here. He says, show your steadfast love to my master Abraham based on the covenant. It's what he's saying here. The servant, um, by the way, is included in that relationship. He's included in that relationship. When God gave Abraham the sign of circumcision, the servant received that sign as a member of the master's household, as God instructed Abraham. Now, I like NASCAR. I'm a big NASCAR fan. Well, I'm not as big as I used to be. Any, any NASCAR fans? Two of you. Good. <laughs> you guys need to get more redneck, okay? I know it's stupid, but it's fun to watch. Typical Toby going to a racetrack, you got to get a ticket, you got to sit in the ghetto section, you got to use the Porta Johns. It's bad, okay? I, have a, I had a friend one time say, hey, Toby, you want to go to the race with me? And I went, yeah, okay, sure, I'll go. And so what I did not know, though, is that this friend named Kenny, like, is a big deal, okay? And so we go. I said, hey, where are our tickets at? It's wherever you want to be. I'm like, whatever, okay. So we get to the gate where this long line is, and everybody's got these little tickets. We go through this main gate, and Kenny just shows this card, and he says, this is for me, and this guy, talking about me, is with me. I didn't need a card. We walked into the gate. He said, where do you want to go first? And I'm just like, let's go to Pitt Road because that's the coolest place to be in a NASCAR race, right? So we go down to Pitt Road, and most people had to have passes, and I was just seeing if his pass was good enough to get to Pitt Road because you got to have passes for Pitt Road, garage passes, the whole nine yards. So 
We go down there. Sure enough, Kenny shows his tag. We walk in, and you think I was somebody. I was just with somebody, okay? Got me in. Hey, you want to go to the garage? I went, yeah, let's go to the garage. And so we start going to the garage. I got to meet Mark Martin. I know that name probably means nothing to most of you, especially since you don't watch race. races because he's already retired, but one of the best race car drivers ever, all right? So anyway, got to meet Mark Martin. I said, hey, man, this pass is so good. How about let's call the pace car up here and see if he'll take me for a lap in the pace car? Because this is a big deal. Sure enough, he calls his buddy Eddie. Eddie pulls up. Corvette. I had to fall into it, and I felt like I was sitting in a casket almost <laughs> driving around this racetrack. He got me a ride in the pace car. It's really cool. Hey, Toby, you want anything to eat? Sure, man. Anything you want, go over there and tell them you're with me. You get anything you want to eat. Shirts, hats, anything. We go out and watch the race in this awesome suite. I say all that to say this, just like Abraham and his unknown servant, he had all the benefits of Abraham. At the race, I had all the benefits of Kenny, not because of who I was, but because of who I was with. And the thing of it is, as you think through this text, look at Genesis 17. And this is the... Uh, this is the ESV version of this because I thought it made more sense to me. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised so that my covenant shall be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. The servant submits to the sign of God to reveal the right woman. He asks God, God, sovereignly pick Rebecca so that you can get the praise and the glory. And the servant really wanted him to do that. She would volunteer to draw water for 10 thirsty camels, a task that would require her to get 250 gallons of water for these 10 camels. Now, listen how big, this is probably not that big of a deal to us. Suppose I had, y'all know what a Home Depot bucket looks like? The, home, the orange ones, the five gallons, she would have to fill 50 of those with water and take it and feed their camels. Imagine 50 buckets across this stage. That's a lot of water that she's willing to do that God is leading her to do. 250 gallons of water. Listen, this was no demand of God by the servant. It was a request. And he hopes that God will be gracious. Now, God, out of his grace, will respond, right? We see this. It could be that no woman will make this offer. Nobody, I'm, I'm coming, I'm praying, and it could be that no woman will make this offer. It could be that no, no, the woman that does offer is not of Abraham's relatives, and he'd have to reconsider kind of what to do, but if God should be gracious and answer his prayer, then really it doubly confirms that Rebecca is God's chosen bride for Isaac, right? Let's look. So, it's confirmed as you read through this. It's confirmed. It's confirmed for Rebecca. It's confirmed for her family. And when the servant gives a detailed account to the family, if you're read on down through this text, the story's really told twice in the same text. When the servant gives a detailed account to the family of how his prayer was answered, everyone, 
everyone not only agrees that finding Rebecca was of the Lord, but the family, with Rebecca's consent, are even willing to let Rebecca depart with the servant the very next day. And it's a really amazing story of the sovereignty of God picking the bride for Isaac. And that's not the only prayer that the servant makes here. After Rebecca reveals who she is, the servant lifts up this thanksgiving prayer. Look at verse um, 27. And this worship prayer. Verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, of my master Abraham, who has not withheld his kindness and faithfulness from my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on a journey to the house of my master's relatives. Listen, he does not give thanks for what an awesome guy he is. He doesn't give thanks for what a smart guy he is, right? Doesn't do that. He, he had asked for God's guidance, and it is God who must receive the glory. He, at the unknown, unnamed servant, asked God for guidance. And what, what, he, what he notes here is what God has done. Lead me on the journey of the house of my master's relatives. Abraham's command is fulfilled. And it's fulfilled clearly by the hand of Abraham's God, the God of the Bible, who yet again displays his steadfast love and his faithfulness to Abraham. You know, it's interesting here that the servant, he adds the concept here of God's faithfulness. You know, God's always faithful. Whether we're faithful or not, he's always faithful. And he will always be faithful. Even when you don't like him, he's faithful. But he's always faithful. And he, the concept of faithfulness here is that, that this faithfulness is towards Abraham, but it's towards Abraham on the basis of God being faithful to his own word. Mainly, the covenant promise to Abraham of offspring and land. That's what he's saying here. God keeps his word even though, and you've heard this in Genesis, even though his track record is spotty and it's, it's busted sometimes and it's weak in faith. But if we were to go back to the well, back up, let's go to the well. Without the episode of the sign at the well that we see here in this text, the servant could have fulfilled his mission, right? He could have found the family. He could have recruited a willing wife, maybe even Rebecca. He may, maybe even Rebecca. And all that could be done as the servant, he acted very dutifully, right? He did what was expected. He did what he was supposed to do. But now, because of the sign, God, do this on my master's behalf, do this, all the glory has to be given to God. It has to be given to God. And all, including future readers like myself and like you, when we read this story, because we have the whole thing, we have to give glory to God here. It ought to make us, when we read it, glory to God, right? And that's what he's saying. It, 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 we must realize that Rebecca is indeed God's chosen bride. Praise the Lord. I'm glad because we know what comes from this. The promise 
It's going to continue through Isaac. It's going to continue through the right vessel of, 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 of Rebekah. It's, 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 it's that guaranteed by the providence of God who made the promise. Notice something that's missing here in the whole story, though. There's something that's missing. That I don't know if you noticed it, but something that's missing in the whole story. Before we hear God speaking to Abraham, and then he responds, there are times God did not speak to Abraham. And he acts in his own accord. And every time he did that, it led him to trouble. Think of Egypt. Think of Abimelech. Uh, think of the story of Sarah is given in to Hagar. Here, in this text, it's the first time that Abraham makes a decision without record of God speaking to him first, and success is the result. What's the difference? Here's the deal. It lies not in Abraham, but it lies in the unnamed servant. Not in Abraham. The unnamed servant's the one that was praying. The unnamed servant is asking God for guidance. He, he turns to the Lord, this unnamed servant, for success. Another thing that I think we can, be, can be learned here is that if, you know, we should be, is that we should not be asking for signs, but we ought to be asking for God's guidance in our lives. Ask for God. In our prayers, we ought to be appealing to the covenant relationship that he's made with our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means when you pray and we pray and we go in Jesus' name. That's what that means. Christ has mediated a new covenant on our behalf. And we get to go to the Lord in prayer, knowing that he's going to hear us. He's going to show his steadfast love and, and faithfulness to his son and to all that are in a covenant relationship with his son. Remember, Jesus is the promise that came to reality, right? We have the book, we have the Bible to be able to read and understand that. He is the promised seed that passed through Abraham, that passed through Isaac, that's going to pass through Jacob, that's going to pass through many, many ge different generations to the birth of Jesus. It is Jesus who will mediate a new and better covenant with God the Father through his own sacrifice. It is through Jesus that all the nations will be blessed and that all the spiritual uh, blessings of his covenant will embrace his people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's all about Jesus. And after all of this took place, all of this took place through the providential care of God Almighty. He made this happen. The God of the Bible made this happen. Now sometimes he will, end, he will directly act in a supernatural way to enact his will. Example, Sarah, 99 years old, giving birth to Isaac. That's physically impossible without God supernaturally doing something. Sometimes he does that. He acts directly. And sometimes he acts indirectly through the prayers and through the thoughts of godly actions of individuals such as Abraham's unnamed servant. He acts and does. And it behooves me, it should behoove us 
not so much to ask for signs as to be given discernment, but to see the signs that God of God at work. Listen, folks, you can be committed to reading the scriptures, to memorizing the scriptures, and miss God just like the Pharisees miss God. The flesh, he was made flesh and dwelt among them, and they missed him. They missed him. And that was the curse of the Pharisees. The servant, he didn't have scriptures. He didn't have the Bible like we have. He couldn't study the Bible like we can study the Bible. He observed the work of God, how? Through the life of Abraham. He saw him. He knew that he was a godly guy. He knew that he loved God. He saw, he saw his master doing, and no doubt he learned about God from Abraham. He then applied what he learned to his prayer life and to the responsibilities given him. And folks, we're to do the same. We should do the exact same. We do have the scriptures to read and study, and I encourage you to read and study the scriptures. You should read and study and memorize the scriptures. That's a good thing. Just don't miss Jesus in it. Because the whole book's about Jesus. The whole book is about Jesus. Another thing, lastly, that we can learn is this. The servant's prayer. <clears throat> and this is where I don't know if it's on the screen or not. I got no doubt in my notes. But anyway, the servant's prayer was answered because he was being used by God to fulfill God's big promise plan. Do you hear that? The servant's prayer was answered because he was being used by God to fulfill God's big promise plan. Listen, our prayers and our actions are more likely to be answered and blessed when we think and act in accordance with the big promise plan. What is that? It's the spread of the gospel. It's telling others about the hope of the gospel. It's telling others about the hope of Jesus. Our prayers and our thoughts, we tend to make them focused on whatever and perceive of our own selves and our own families of whatever's going on right now in our lives. And that's why I think I get discouraged sometimes and easily frustrated when things don't go my way because my prayer life and my things are focused on the temporal that matter to me right now but do they really matter to a big God and his big plan for my life? But if, let me ask you this, but what if the spread of the gospel was always foremost in my mind? How does that change my prayer life? How does that change how I react or act towards you, a brother or sister? What if we would always care more about the gospel and how it's understood and perceived by the way we speak to my family, my coworkers, my neighbors, whoever I'm around. What if our hope is not in what happens to us in this world, but rather in the world to come? What if we really and truly lived by faith? What if I walked out of here today and went, I'm going to start living by faith. I want to be a man of faith that trusts God in the big and the little. It doesn't matter what comes my way. I want to trust him. That's what Hebrews 11 
is all about, right? It opens with that statement. Now, faith is assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Then the author of Hebrews points to Abraham. He points to Abraham's family. Listen to what verses 13 and 16 say. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents of the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Verse 15, if they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, folks, I don't know if you know this, but this is exactly where the promise made to Abraham takes us. To a heavenly country, to a city, a heavenly city. Now, I don't know. I don't know all of you in here. You may have, you, you, you may have no idea who Abraham is. Or Isaac. We're just studying the book of Genesis and they're their main characters, they're, they're, they're little characters to a main character called God. Here's the bigger deal today. What do you do with all this? What do you do with this? I think the covenant promise is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What do you do with that? Well, today, here's what you do with that. If you don't know who Jesus, if you don't know God through Jesus, you don't know God. And the way to know God is through his son. And maybe that's you. And the Bible says if we confess with our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe that's you today. I don't know. I know there's pastors in the corners or some in the back. There's small group leaders all over this place. If that's you, I'd encourage you to grab one of them and say, hey, how do I know that God of the Bible that that dude was talking about? Maybe it's you today and going, hey, you know what? My faith is weak. My faith is crushed. Maybe God's going to encourage you through this story. I don't know. But God does whatever he pleases. He picked out a bride for Rebecca, an awesome bride for Rebecca. He sovereignly, the hand of providence, picked her out and placed him. And we actually have the story of the Bible because of this story. And it's passed down. And we today, as American Christians, get to know the God of the Bible. And it's a blessing. It's awesome. It's changed my life. It's changed my life forever. And I don't know about you, but we're going to sing a couple of songs of just worship as we kind of conclude. But I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're struggling with something or you, man, you just feel a tug at your heart, that's probably the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. There's some pastors down front. I'll be down front. As you sing, as you worship, see God for who he is. High and exalted and lifted up, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're not just singing just to sing to fill time. We're singing to worship the Almighty God like the servant did in chapter 27. Thanks be to God should be our tone, should be our hearts. God, thank you for loving us today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to sing and to 
hear your word. God, thank you for your great faithfulness. God, that same faithfulness that you gave, that you've given to Abraham is given to us today, right now. You are faithful. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the story of the Bible. Thank you for loving us today. And I pray as we just continue to sing and worship you that you would be the center of our attentions in Jesus' name.